0: Well, hello again, church. How are we doing this morning? Good? Good? Um, I'm excited to be with you. For those of you who are new here and have no idea who I am, my name is Chad Lowe. I'm one of the pastors here at Tri-Village Church, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to be with us to worship with us this morning. Um, at Tri-Village Church, we have a saying, and, and we believe it and mean it, that here you are welcomed, you are wanted, and you are needed. You are not just welcomed, you are wanted and needed here. And so we thank you so much for being here. If you could do me a favor and fill out the connect card that was on your seat, um, we'd love to get to know you personally. We'd love to to greet you personally and thank you for being with us this morning. Um, If you're also new, you have no idea that we are in the middle of our summer series called One Story. One Story. We're actually in the third installment of this series, One Story, where we're looking at the thread of the gospel throughout all of Scripture, through the Old Testament. So we're particularly looking at a person in the Old Testament and seeing how that Person points to Jesus. And that person is Abraham that we're looking at. One story, Jesus, Abraham. And so this is a really awesome, really fun series where we get to see the thread of the gospel through through scripture and get to look at in depth the life of Abraham and see how it points to Jesus. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 13, um, unpacking more of the life of Abraham um, if you guys would open your Bibles, turn on your Bibles uh, to Genesis chapter 13, we'll be reading that together. And if you'd also stand for the reading of God's word, it's one of the things we do here out of respect and reverence for the word of God. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Starting in verse one. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in and livestock and in livestock and silver and gold. From the Negev he went up to the place, from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where, he, where, he, uh, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. Then Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together." And quarreling arose between Abram's herds and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herds and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If, I go, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of Jordan towards Zor, that it was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, Like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, and he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for your word. We praise you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you that we get to worship you. I pray today as we look at the life of Abraham, Lord, that you would show us yourself. Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us through your word, your faithfulness. Lord, your faithfulness that you showed Abraham before he was even Abraham, as he was called Abram. Lord, show your faithfulness in the midst of faithlessness. Lord, I pray that as I speak, it would be your spirit moving and your words speaking through me. Lord, protect me from myself, from preaching anything of myself. Lord, let it be all for you and your glory. Lord, whatever I say that is of you, let them not forget it. But if anything is from me, Lord, I pray that everyone would forget it quickly, that we would be clinging to the truths found in your word. We'd be clinging to you as our source of enlightenment, of truth, of peace. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. I pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So we are looking, through the, uh, looking at and looking in depthly at the life of Abraham. Now Abraham is a central figure in scripture, not only in the Old Testament, but he's also referenced throughout the New Testament. He is a key father figure of faith. Um, if you have any familiarity at all with Abraham, you probably know some of the stories of his faithfulness. You might also know some of the stories of his faithlessness as well. And so today, we get to see a a snapshot in the middle of the journey. Sometimes when we we see what God is doing through the life of a person, we get to see the beginning, the call, which we looked at last week. The call of Abram to go from his homeland and into where God was leading him. And then we get to see the end when he arrives where God's called him to. But what we get to see today is along the journey. Along the journey of faithfulness. And what that means. And for many of us, we can wrestle with a lot of the same things that Abram is wrestling with. We struggle with being faithful in all circumstances. When things get hard, do we still follow Jesus? When things are uncertain, how do we respond? And so we get to see the life of Abram, Abram, um, later Abraham, and the faithlessness and faithfulness of him. So, in order to depict this, a uh, pastor this for me a number of years ago. I want you all to hold out your hands like this. Just, yeah, go ahead. Just, just hold your hands out like this. So, when we look at faithfulness, faithfulness is saying, "Okay, Lord," figuratively, of course. Everything in my life is here. It's yours. My dreams, my cares, my passions, my friendships, my my relationship, my spouse, my kids, my career, my home. All of the things are yours. So take them. Use them as you will. And then sometimes we do this. Everyone clench your fist, And we go, okay, Lord, um, these are mine. Uh, let me take care of these things. Uh, let me hold on to these things. Let me decide what is best with these things. These are the things that I need to hold on to. And so throughout, you can put your hands down, but throughout the, uh, the life of Abram, what we're going to see today is when he goes from this to this, when he goes from clenching his fists to opening them up, and how, too, we can do the same. So we're going to be doing that by looking at three different points, three different movements of Abram. And so the first one is, if you guys would put that on the screen, the first one we see is that um, Abram gave in. He gave in to faithlessness. This is him holding on. It's the clenched fist. He gave in to sin. But then we see he, that he gave up. Not that he was apathetic and said, I'm over it, but that he gave up his concerns, his cares, his things to the Lord. And then we also see that God gave back, that God met his faithfulness with faithfulness, and what this means for us. So let us dive in. Let's look at how Abram gave in, gave in to faithlessness, gave into sin. You guys probably caught this, is right there at the beginning. And so in verse 1 and 2, it says, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram became very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. Man, what a sinner. You know, like, it's just right there, you know? You can just you can just see it. Like, how could he? Uh, I know, you guys are all, like, so confused. What are you talking about? Um, that's the point. So, With this, as we start this scene, this this scene of the faithfulness of Abram, it actually starts with something that's kind of interesting. So last week when Pastor Will spoke, where we left Abram, Lot, and Sarai was in the Negev. They were in this dry place, this this area kind of southwest of the Dead Sea between what is now Israel and Egypt. And so that's where they they were. They were camped there. Abram built an altar to the Lord. But in this passage, we see that he's coming from Egypt, back to the Negev, which is interesting. Why was, why was he there? What, what happened? Why, why would he go there? But then the second thing that we see is that he amassed a ton of wealth. He was incredibly wealthy, which is really interesting because most times when you see people who are wandering around homeless, they aren't wealthy, Um, So I don't know if like Abram was betting on camel races or like if he had like some kind of secret thing going on. But like what happened that Abram somehow amounted wealth while wandering in the wilderness? What, what, what What happened there? So in order to really understand what is going on in the context for chapter 13, we actually have to look at the end of chapter 12. We have to look at what brought Abram to Egypt and what happened there. Now, this is the moment in Abraham's life that is arguably the most sinful publicly for us. It's the biggest indictment to his character of faithfulness. It's the biggest demerit, the biggest blemish on his character. So let's dive in. We get to see, starting in verse 10 of chapter 12, and you can follow along on the screen with me or in your Bibles, now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. So that's how he got there. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Aw. Um, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, because, uh, but will let you live. Not aw. Say that you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. Uh Uh-oh. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So that is how they got to Egypt. And that is how he got his wealth. Whoo! I don't know if any of you have been in a situation where you've offered up your spouse. For, um, I haven't been there yet, but uh, hopefully never. Um, yeah, Abram, man, what a guy! We we see in the brief moments in the brief verses before that God calls him to leave everything, his country, his people, his own family. And he does. An incredible act of faith. And then in this moment, we see him encounter his first real trial, his first real bump in the road, a famine. What's he going to do now? He doesn't have his people. He doesn't have a place. He's living a homeless man. So what does he do? And so we see a few things. There's five things that we see that Abram does that show us that he was living, he gave in to sin. He gave in to faithlessness. The first thing is that when things got tough, he took matters into his own hands. Commentators unanimously say that the one thing that is absent from this passage is Abram's conversation with the Lord. Not once did he pursue God. Not once does he cry out, go, Lord, what do you have for me? Where do you want me to go? There's no food. There's a famine. What should we do? Instead, he goes, got this. Going to Egypt. We're going to go search for for food. And we're going to go search for for what would be plentiful. And so he takes matters into his own hands. And along the way, he also is fearful. He's fearful of what might happen to him particularly. And so in the second thing we see is that he acted selfishly. Um, I don't think you could say it's very selfish to offer up your wife um, to someone else. It's actually very, it's very selfish. She's concerned about what might happen to him. Hey, honey, you are beautiful. Thank you. I might be killed because of that. So, thanks. Why don't you just tell him that you're my sister, okay? Let's just pretend that we aren't really a thing. Um, what's wild is that Sarai and Abram are both older at this point. Sarai's around 65 years old, but she's still considered very beautiful. Um, so she's older and later in life, but Abram acts selfishly, concerned more about his safety and security than his wife's safety and security. Um, Lot, even though he's not mentioned here, he's still part of this, uh, this episode, this, this thing. He just doesn't get any airtime in this passage because there's enough between this dysfunctional marriage. Um, and so we see that Abram acts selfishly. The, the other thing that we see is that Abram acts, Abraham acts sinfully. He acts sinfully. He convinces his wife to lie, not just to one person, but to every single person that she encounters in the entire nation of Egypt. He tells her, you have to do this for me. Go lie to everyone. Now, it's one thing to lie and say like, hey, um, I don't know if you'd call this a lie. Some people, if you live in downtown Chicago and people who live in the suburbs and say they're from Chicago, that's a big no-no. <laughs> um this isn't like that. This is, imagine that your spouse asked you to lie that you were married to them. That you are just part of their family. You don't have any relation together. He asked them to lie about the one person that he took with him, other than Lot, the closest person he took with him from his homeland, his wife. Lie that you and I aren't married. Not only that, we see that the fourth thing we see is that Abram's lie causes other people to sin. Abram's lie, his, his, it snowballs, it, it builds, it gets way out of hand. The, his fear becomes materialized even more so than he ever thought it would. He knew that they would think that she's beautiful, and they did. But oh no, Pharaoh took her to be his wife. What does he do now? Uh, sorry, I was kidding. She's really mine. Uh, we're, we're not siblings. We're, we're married. It, I, awkward it happens all the time. Everywhere we go, I always forget to say we're married. No, he, he allows her to go and commit adultery. He allows her to go and to become the wife of someone else. It wasn't that all of a sudden Pharaoh found out before they got married. No, time had elapsed. Sarai was Pharaoh's wife. He allowed not only Sarai, but Pharaoh to commit adultery and to sin as a result of his sin. And the last thing we see is he got wealthy from it. He got dirty money. He amassed camels and cattle and livestock and servants. He prospered in the lie. He prospered in the deception. He prospered at the expense of his spouse. Not the best moment for the faithful man, Abram. The one that God called and said, I will bless you. I'll make every nation blessed from you. Anyone who curses you, I will curse. Anyone who blesses you, I will bless. Your offspring is gonna be more numerous than the stars in the sky. That guy, this is his moment. He he finds his first blip And he takes matters in his own hands. He acts selfishly, sinfully, and causes other people to sin. And he gains money and he gains wealth from it. But then he's found out. (sighs) What's interesting in this whole passage is that the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, is the one who acts righteously in this passage. He's the one, not the God-fearer, Abram, but the one who is the pagan, is the one who says, whoa, 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 why didn't you tell me she was your wife? This is so wrong. This is, this is so, so wrong. Take her back. It's the pagan who acts more righteous than the God-fearer. Faithful Abram. He gave in to sin. He gave in to faithlessness. But yet Pharaoh still allowed him to keep all of the wealth that he blessed him with. He still allowed him to keep the dirty wealth that he just got. There are a few things that we learn from this. Not so much about Abram, we already learned that, um, that he's a pretty messed up dude. But we learned some things about God. We learned some things about how he interacts with us and how he interacts with Abram in this passage. So one of the first things we learn about God is that God chooses broken people. You would expect that when the first trial come, his first at bat, he wouldn't just whiff miserably, but that he would somehow do something that mattered. You'd expect that he would go, okay, Lord, you brought me out of my hometown. You brought me here. There's a famine. I trust that you had a plan. That somehow before that you were going to bring me through this, that that this was going to be bigger. But instead he didn't. God uses broken people. He uses flawed people to magnify his glory. And that's good news for us because you and I are broken people. That's good news for us because you and I are flawed people. If God uses flawed, broken Abram, God certainly can use flawed, broken you and me. The second thing we see is that Abram's sin isn't his final identity and the narrative of grace. Even though Abram sinned, it didn't stop him from still being the blessed one. It still didn't stop him from being the one that God had a plan for, that all the nations of the world would come from him, that he would bring about a, a future blessing, a promised one. God still chose this sinful person to amount his blessing. So what does this mean for us? It means that there is no sin that has separated you from the love of God. It means that whatever you are going through, whatever sin that you, if you feel too dirty that ah, God can't use me, if only you guys knew what I have done, if only you knew what I'm doing, if only you knew how sinful and messed up I am. You might even feel uncomfortable sitting here in church. You might go, I don't belong here. This is for like righteous people. It's not the case at all. We are all sinful, flawed, broken people in divine need of grace. We are all sinful, broken people who need the mercy of God, and Abram receives the mercy of God. We can see that God will be faithful to us because he has been faithful to Abram, even when Abram was faithless. So I can trust that in my faithlessness, God will continue to resolutely be faithful to me. That is good news. That's good news for us, that's good news for our future, and that's good news for the promises of God. But there are a few barriers that still get in the way from us embracing and trusting and stepping out in faith. There's a few things that prevent us from really materializing, really believing that, that this good stuff that God has for us is really going to happen. And the first one that we see is doubt. We see this in the life of Abram. Maybe God's called you to do something. Maybe even your vocation, what you're doing right now, the person who you've married, maybe, I don't know what it is, but God has called you to something. It could even be follow him. You may experience like Abram, uh, God, things are hard and I doubt that you still have a plan. Things are hard and I doubt that you are good. Things are hard and I doubt that you thought this all the way through. Things are hard. I doubt that you actually uh, knew that this was going to be how it was going to work out for me. I'm trying to be obedient, remember? Hi, me, the obedient one. Yeah, I doubt that you are going to be faithful to me. Doubt can prevent us from stepping out in faith. Doubt can prevent us from opening up our hands, but having clenched fists, holding on to the things of our lives, doubting that God has true and total control over them. The second barrier that we see is pride. Now we did a whole series and we had a sermon on pride and we've talked about pride before and there are two forms of pride. There's the the pride of elevation and there's the pride of deprecation. And so this this elevating pride is where I am so awesome. Like I am the Lord's gift to you. So thank you. You're welcome. So glad I could be here. Like this is the pride of, you know what? You are so blessed to hear from me. So that's pride. That's the pride of elevation. And a lot of us can sniff that out pretty quickly. You can see the people who are, who are proud, who take matters into their own hands, who say, God, I got this. Take it back. See, I saw what you did there. I think I got it figured out. Let me take care of this for you. You feel like you are the servant to God, for God, with God. You don't even need God rather than being submitting to God. The pride of elevation. Thinking too highly of yourself. But then there's the other pride, the pride of deprecation, where you go, oh, God, I don't, I don't think you could really use me. This probably like stops the promises, doesn't it? I sinned too much this time. I, I was too bad. God, I told my wife and gave her over to another man. <laughs> Looks like it's over for me. All done. I'll never be used by you. I'll never be good enough. I'm not like those other people who are really faithful. I'm just me. Can't even dunk a basketball. How are you going to use this guy? That's actually not part of it, but it's the pride of thinking too low of yourself. You're still consumed with yourself, still being selfish, still all about you, but you just think lowly of yourself. Pride can keep us from stepping out in faith because we're too blinded by our own desires. Pride can keep us from stepping out of faith because we're too blinded to see what God has for us because we're too consumed about what we have for us. Pride keeps us from stepping out in faith because we fail to see God at work in our lives. We can only see our work in our lives. So, now that we've seen how Abram has given into faithlessness, how he gave into sin, it sets us up to really understand the beauty of what's taking place in chapter 13. This tremendous act of faithfulness where he gives up, where he surrenders control to the Lord and says, I have opened my hands, take, it's yours. So let's look at at the rest of chapter 13 where we get to see this tremendous act of faithfulness of Abram to the Lord. In verse 3, he says, From the Negev he went back from, from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place where Bethel and Ai, where he sent his tent before earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now, Lot, who was moving with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor, that is well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for him the whole plain of of the Jordan and set out towards the east the two men parted company Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom now the people of Sodom were wicked and sinning greatly against the Lord the the Abram that we see in chapter 13 is very different than the Abram we see in chapter 12 though some of the circumstances are similar there's a trial facing Abram there's family disagreement facing Abram But the way that he responds is different than he did in the previous chapter. And there's a key sentence. There's a key verse that is the crux of all of it. He called on the name of the Lord. He called on the name of the Lord. We see that there's a disagreement between Lot and Abram. Their dirty wealth has gotten so big that they can't even habitate the same space. There's not enough food for all of them. And there's also the Canaanites and the parasites that are there, so they can't, they can't have the space that they need. So something's got to give. Now, in the past, we've seen that Abram acts selfishly. This is my space. You go figure out what you're going to do, Lot. In the past, we see they act sinfully. You say, hey, Lot, um, I'm going to kind of cheat things and figure out to manipulate things to my own gain or causes other people to sin. But that's not the Abram we see of this passage. Why? Abram called on the name of the Lord. The picture we see is that when they came up from Egypt, I imagine it was a very quiet journey. We don't hear a lot about it. Just between, we only have these few short verses. He came up from Egypt. What do you have to say to the spouse you no longer respect? What do you have to say to the broken man who is called out in his sin? So now they're here and Abram's retracing his steps, going back to the places where the Lord has brought him going back and they finally see this altar that they built before going to Egypt where he gets to look back and see as a reminder the faithfulness of God, the place where he worshiped, the place where he saw God move. And he sees that altar and he calls on the name of the Lord. And so instead of being selfish, he becomes a peacemaker. Instead of being selfish, he becomes selfless. And so the few things that we see of Abram is the first, that he called on the name of the Lord and they trusted him to be enough, to be his portion. But then the other thing we see is that he actually gives Lot up. He lets Lot go. Why is this a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because of a couple of reasons. One, Abram and Sarai were old, yet they were the promised ones to be the blessing to the world. They didn't have any kids. Sarah was barren, so she couldn't have kids. So how is this blessing supposed to materialize? So a lot of commentators believe that, that Lot coming along, not only did he just like his nephew, but it was kind of like the break glass in case of emergency. Like if this doesn't work out, then well, at least Lot will get the blessing. He'll be my descendant. Like surely that's what the Lord meant in all of this. So Lot being with him is kind of like this, this holding on to, well, if it doesn't work out the way the Lord wants it to, I at least can fall back on this. It's not the way I wanted, but... How is my barren wife supposed to have a kid, especially so late in her life? Him allowing Lot to leave and saying, go, is giving up and saying, Lord, I trust that your promise is good. I don't know how you're going to provide, but I trust that you will. You said you were going to give me an offspring, and I trust that you will. The second thing we see is he allows Lot to choose the land that he's going to go to. He allows Lot to choose of all of the places where he he wants to go. And you can just imagine a lot this this nephew going like, are you sure, like Uncle Abram? Like, you're going to let me choose? All I've seen you do is like, you choose, you know? So, okay, sure. And he allows him to choose and he's saying, Lord, no matter where you lead me, I'm going to go. If Lot takes this place, that's okay. I trust that you'll provide for me. If Lot takes the best of the best, which he does, trust that you're going to provide for me tremendous faithfulness. He gave up, opened his hands and said, Lord, you gave me everything I have and I'm giving it back to you. Do with it what you will. You gave me everything I have. I am trusting you. Do with it what you will. Tremendous faithfulness. But I also want to look at what Lot does here. Lot has a very interesting role because he chooses a, a different path. He, he looks around, he like observes like, man, where am I going to move? Like the options are endless. Imagine that you had like a, a ticket to go anywhere. You just got to choose wherever it was, it's yours. And so he's like, oh, over there. Yeah, that's it. Over there. It reminded him of the Garden of Eden. Paradise. The closest thing he saw to it was when he was in Egypt. It was like fruitful. There was water and trees. Everything was lush. It was beautiful. So he has taken his one ticket to paradise and he's like, I'm going. I'm stamping it there. It's going to be great. I'm going to paradise. But paradise looks a lot more like hell. It's interesting because the, the path that Lot chooses, that what he's expecting to find in this world What he's expecting that this world is going to give him is heaven. But what we see from the text that he wasn't aware of is that Sodom was incredibly wicked. And that very later we'll read as we continue this story that the Lord destroys Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighboring towns. So the thing that he was looking for, for his satisfaction, his significance, his security, ended up coming up totally empty. And we do the same thing a lot of times. You go, okay, Lord, I trust you, but I'm also going to take this because it just makes sense. Like, how could you not be blessing this? Look at it. Just look at it. It's got to be good. It's got to be from you. It's paradise, right? Rather than going, okay, Lord, where do you want me to go? Let you lead and I'll follow. So what are the things that we learn from this? What do we see about the Lord in this? What do we see from Abram and from Lot? the first thing we see is that we can call on the name of the Lord and he hears us. Jesus actually tells us that those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Abram called on the name of the Lord and we too can call on the name of the Lord and we receive his presence. We receive his promise because we have the person of Jesus Christ. We can go to the Lord with our worries, with our insecurities, with the... the. The situations that we're placed in and we can trust that he will be faithful to us. Because we can look back and see the faithfulness that he has already displayed in our lives. The altar that has been set before. So we can call on the name of the Lord. The second thing we see though is the cost of following Jesus. Yes, there's a cost. It isn't that you have to pay to earn Jesus, but there is a cost to being a disciple. Our salvation isn't necessarily free. And we see this actually from Jesus in Luke chapter 14 and in chapter 9. So in chapter 14, Jesus says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I'm just going to let that sink in for a minute. Like, that doesn't seem Christian, right? Like, supposed to, hold on, wait. The Bible, Jesus says, "Hate your father and mother, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters, even your own life. Doesn't he say, like, honor your father and mother? Yes, he does. The point is there should be nothing Absolutely nothing that stands in the ultimate seat that only Jesus should sit in. There is nothing that should be a first love to us other than Jesus. There is nothing that should take his rulership of our hearts. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that should stand between us and pursuing the Lord. It doesn't mean that the object of this is to go home and just start hating everybody, it's not the takeaway. But do you love them more than you love Jesus? Do you love them more than you are willing to follow Jesus? Or are you willing to say, Lord, they're yours? Do with them what you will. I trust you. The second cost we see of being a disciple comes from Luke 9. And he said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross. What's that word? daily take up their cross daily and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will save it you see following jesus isn't just a one time moment it's not just a decision that we make okay lord you're my, the lord of my life now i'm going to go back to everything that i've done before it's a daily self denial it's daily opening up our hands and saying lord take it Not just once saying, okay, Lord, remember that time I opened up my hands and you took it? Yeah, you had your shot. You you took what you wanted, but you left this, so this is mine now. No, it's daily taking up your cross, denying yourself, and following him. There is a cost to following Jesus. And Abraham is saying that, that Jesus is worth the cost. Abraham is making a definitive statement that Jesus is worth the cost. The other thing we see of Lot, not Abram, is that sometimes we can get distracted by the false Edens of this world. The, the good things that actually aren't the great things. There, they can even be things that the Lord has blessed us with. It could be family, it could be our jobs, it could be the, the homes, the places that we live. But we, we rest and trust in them to be heaven. We, we trust in them to fulfill a promise that they were never ever able to fulfill. I know for me, uh, a way that I looked at this is actually ministry was my Eden that I looked to. Being a pastor, I was the high school pastor at Wheaton Bible Church before being here and I loved it, praise the Lord. It was great, but man, did I love it too much. I loved it to the point where that identified me more than Jesus I found my identity, my ability to shepherd, my ability to teach, my ability to be with students and care for them, to have answers to their problems. That was where I found my identity, my purpose, my life. It was heaven to me. And then it was gone. And the Lord showed the status of my heart that I was resting in something that was good, but not ultimate. You know, what's wild is I could not preach another sermon, but as long as I'm following Jesus, God is good. Amen? I could never mentor another person, but as long as I'm following Jesus, God is good. Amen. 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 My identity is not found in what I do, but what in Christ has done for me. Abram's identity is not found in what he has done, his failures or his faithfulness, but in what the Lord is doing and has done for him. We find our peace, our hope, We find the object and source of our faith in a person, and that is Jesus. But there's a barrier that keeps us from stepping out and walking in faithfulness here. And I believe that barrier is fear. Fear of what if, okay, Chad, I hear what you're saying. I hear that I need to open my hands. I need to give it all. But what if God actually takes it all? What if he doesn't just take one thing, but he takes several things? What if he takes everything? What if I lose my job? What if I lose my spouse? If I lose my friends, my family? What if I lose it all? Fear can cripple us from stepping in faith. You know what's crazy is there was a man who did have everything taken away from him. His name was Job. You know what he said after everything was taken? The Lord giveth and taketh away. The Lord giveth. And taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. You see, even when we lose it all, we never lose Him. Even when we lose it all, we are never alone. Even when we lose it all, God is with us. We have His presence, we have His promise, we have Jesus. So we can say, Lord, take it all because I already have. Everything. Take it all because you've already given me everything. Take it all because there is nothing that will ever be more than what I have in you. Ever. So now that we have seen how Abram has given into sin and faithlessness and then he, how he has given up in faithfulness, I want to see how the Lord gave back. This last part, this, this key Part of the passage. So in verse 14, it says, The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him. And that's key. It's after Lot has already left. Look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if you could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went and lived near the great tree of Mamre at Hebron, when he pitched his tent and built an altar to the Lord. See the very things that Lot or that Abram gives up in lot and in land, the Lord Brit gives back. He says, "Hey, you just give up this land. Go walk wherever you want. It's yours, all of it, every single space. You want to go north? Cool. Go south? Cool. East, west? Sure. It's all yours." He gives up everything, and the Lord says, oh, okay, hold on, let me outdo you. He gives up his backup plan. He can't have offspring. He says, hey, no, no, no. I still am going to fulfill my promise. Not only am I going to give you offspring, I am going to give you so much that you can't even count it all. If you could count all the dust on this earth, then you could count how many kids you're going to have, how many descendants are going to come from you. But you can't, I dare you. That is wild. He says, Lord, I give it to you. And the Lord says, oh, that's cool. I give it all back. Now, there's a danger here. There's a danger of prosperity gospel creeping in and saying that, okay, offering plate comes by. Awesome, I'm giving to the Lord because he's going to give me what I want. Sweet. If I serve God, then he's going to have to serve me. If I scratch his back, then he's going to have to scratch mine. That sounds awesome. I'm in. No. Because that means that the thing that you are wanting is greater than the Lord himself. That means that you are still trusting in something other than the Lord to satisfy you. To give you your significance and your security. You are trusting in something lesser to be ultimate. No, no. That's not how the Lord works. He says, pursue me and I have everything. Pursue me. Love me the blessing, the, the wild thing is that the blessing that Abram saw or the blessing that he was promised, he didn't get to see come into fruition in his lifetime on this earth. Sometimes the blessings we get, we don't get to see on this earth. They're for a future earth. So what's the, the whole point of this is that this story, as much as we've been talking about Abram and the faithlessness and the faithfulness, this story is about God and his Faithfulness. It's not about Abram. The the moral isn't to go be like Abram because he was faithful in a hard time, or don't be like Abram because he was faithless. It's trust in our faithful God. Trust in the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Trust in him because he is good. You see, this passage is actually all pointing to Jesus. You can see it through the life of Abram, that Abram's life is pointing to Jesus. Abram had to wander around homeless as a sojourner, a foreigner, an alien. Jesus was also a foreigner, a sojourner, an alien in this world. We actually see in Luke, again in Luke, um, there was a a boy who's coming up to Jesus and he says this, if you guys would put the pastor on the screen, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Jesus is the greater foreigner. Jesus is the greater Abram. We see that in the moment of trial as they're wandering in the wilderness, Lot and Abram are presented with a test and they failed. The Lord Jesus, when wandering through the wilderness and fasting and praying to the Lord is presented with a test from Satan himself and he was faithful to the Lord. We see that Abram left his country, his people, and his home. Jesus stepped down from heaven into this earth as the form of a man. He was rejected by the people he created. He was beaten. He was crucified. He died a sinner's death. Jesus made the greater sacrifice. Jesus is the greater Abram. Jesus is our greater hope. Jesus is our greater promise. Jesus is our greater treasure. And Jesus is preparing for us a greater home. In Hebrews chapter 11, this this hall of faith that we looked at in the spring, we read that as it looks through the life of Abraham, it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. For all these people still living by faith when they died, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Family, He has prepared a city for us. Are we willing to give him everything? Because Christ gave up everything to have us. He stepped down and died for us so that we could experience true everything in him. What are you holding on to that you are unwilling to let go? What are you holding on to and saying, God, not this one. This one's mine. What are you holding on to that you're hoping will give you the satisfaction, the security, or the significance that you're looking for? And where are you gonna be letting God say, take it, it's yours already. In you, I have more than enough. Let's pray.